0: This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I'm Matt Fonslow, and you're not. Today, I think I want to talk a little bit about professionalism, which I know is a really broad topic, and it's hard to be specific, or I'm just not smart enough to give specificity, but almost talented enough to say the word. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsor, NAPA Auto Tech Training. Are you tired of searching for trained technicians? If so, let NAPA Auto Tech help you build a technician with their Build-A-Tech program, kind of like Build-A-Bear. These three-day courses cover one of four individual topics, brakes, electrical, steering and suspension, or HVAC through a combination of classroom lecture, hands-on, and utilizing training mock-ups. Visit NAPAAutotech.com. We're getting our kitchen, I don't want to say like renovated refreshed if you will so it's not like they're ripping out the cabinets uh, although all the doors are getting replaced they're resurfacing the uh, you know the exterior outside surfaces of the cabinets painting or putting some sort of a covering on them do different hardware some different shelf arrangements drawer arrangements stuff like that putting the microwave above the stovetop which saves a ton of space on the counters and the countertops are getting replaced, stuff like that. My wife, Danielle is very, very anxious about this, you know, so we're in the day, maybe three and you know, whatever, it's a lot of money, whatever that means. Right. Which is where this is kind of going to, but in her mind, the way she feels, this is a lot of money. We found some little things to criticize and messaged the company and they've taken care of all of it. They're being very professional and that's the end of the episode. So thank you for listening. Just kidding. Well, thank you for listening, but kidding about it being the end. But I can just see the anxiety in her, the fear, the fear of getting taken advantage of. She's going over the invoice or I shouldn't even call it an invoice. We'll call it the, the work order, the estimate, uh, her list that led to the estimate of things she wanted done or addressed. I-, I think she's losing sleep over it. And again, I can't I can't say this enough or I feel the need to remind you that what we have found, and wrong isn't the right word, but where they uh, maybe didn't do what they say they were going to do. Uh, okay, an example. One, we'll just call it a flaw, is where they mounted the microwave above the stovetop the way they had to center the microwave uh, over that stovetop caused, if you can imagine this in your mind, on the one side of the cupboard, which would be the end of the cabinets. The microwave sits above the stovetop. There's cabinets above it. To the right of the cabinet is going to be cabinet space. There'll be a door there for storage or whatever shelves. To the left of it, would be like a, a doorway to leave the kitchen. We would say the end of the cabinets, but the microwave does not line up with the end of the cabinets above it. So there's a, I don't know, three inch roughly gap. You can't even call it a gap because it's just kind of open ended. There's just, it looks weird. Okay. Like an upside down L, where the L, um, the short end, not the corner, is to the left. Okay. So it's just this open space. It it just looked weird. And I was kind of stunned that they wouldn't have done something. And the way they had it was not set up to do something about it. It didn't make sense in my head why they chose to do it that way. So we take a photo of it, send it to him. And he's like, oh yeah, we'll take care of that. Don't worry about it. And the the person responding is not the person doing the actual work. It, It would be like a In this case, the owner of the company, and then there's a technician or carpenter, cabinet, cabinet smith, cabinet maker, cabinet smith, carpenter, working, doing the work. I suppose we could pick apart the uh, communication between the ongoing communication between the carpenter and the boss or the owner. Not really my point. My point is the anxiety my wife has, but they did. I walked in tonight. They did a beautiful job. It looks great. It's exactly what I thought they would do, which doesn't make it right. It just... Makes me feel better that they're on the same wavelength and what my idea was wasn't so horrible. Where I'm going with this is as my wife is telling me this stuff about just being scared and just got a flashlight out and looking things over, look, pouring over the invoice, making sure they're doing what they say they're doing and worrying about little things. So we put in um, the sliding garbage receptacle and recycling cans. The garbage can, you know, pulls out of the cabinet and then slides in. We didn't have one of those. Now we do. And she's just like worried we won't get the actual cans with it. Like they would have set this all up and then left the test cans in there, but they're going to take them away and we'd have to go buy ones. A big deal if we have to go buy them too. I mean, it's rather illogical that they wouldn't include it. It's rather illogical that they would leave the test ones here and take them away, but The anxiety is real. The fear is real that the money being spent will not be met with the, either the promise or the, um, uh, of course the estimate, you're not going to get your value out of it. You're not going to get what you pay for. You're going to end up with a nightmare, right? One of those nightmares where you hire a professional to come in and it doesn't meet expectations or expectations were never set at the get-go, something like that. And as she's telling me this stuff, I am not rolling my eyes, believe it or not. Margaret, I worked really hard not to. Not just kidding. It never really occurred to me because I started thinking about all things and you're going to love this, a movie. Oh, well, maybe you won't love it or maybe you will love it, but you'll believe it. That's what I do. I thought of a movie. It's an old movie. And I, again, I feel like I need to get this out. I generally hate musicals. Like, I despise them. However, there seems to be a fair bit of them that I'm okay with. Most of them stemming, I think, from childhood. You know, growing up, like, it was a yearly event to watch. Uh, Mary Poppins, the old one. You know, just growing up, and it was on TV once a year, like, the, whatever the Disney show was. And then there's a yearly event to watch The Sound of Music and... The movie I'm going to reference is called My Fair Lady. If you haven't seen it, I, hey, I love it with you. I I would watch it. You know, Uh, I think you will find it entertaining. Uh, You might have to white knuckle it through some of the singing and dancing like I do. Suffering through that, if you will. Uh, There's a big payoff. It's really a good flick. And the premise of it is, uh, I think it's set in like, you know, England or London and, There is a well-to-do linguist named Henry Higgins, and he is with a friend and I think also at least an amateur linguist and they're listening to people and Henry can place them uh, by their accents where they grew up within London or, or England at least. And there's a flower girl played by Audrey Hepburn, if it matters, named Eliza Doolittle. She has a very, very heavy accent for those that are not very well to do if that if that makes sense or maybe a lot of like street vernacular something of that order frowned upon immediately when they open their mouths other people know exactly their economic state she hears henry higgins and his friend figures out where they live and she approaches them and says she would like to learn how to speak like a lady after some bantering, she says she is more than willing to pay. And she knows somebody that's getting French lesson, lessons from a French person. That's what they're paying. Or, you know, they're paying whatever. She is not going to pay that much because they're going to be teaching her the language she already knows, English. She's willing to pay a shilling, no more, no less, for them to teach her how to speak eloquently i think like a duchess i think that's what she says i suppose i should have watched the freaking movie before recording this but whatever i'm pretty sure i'm right you know a shilling is nothing it's nothing to them and that's what henry higgins says and that's the point of bringing this all up and running you through this a little bit is henry higgins is looking at this going like you know a shilling it's a nothing it's it's like a few pounds to a millionaire but for her, a shilling is such a high percentage of her worth, financial worth, that it's the most money anyone has ever paid him to do that. And then there, there, there gets to be a bet and all that and whatever. For 98 years, the Napa name has meant quality parts and service. It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt, the technician shortage is impacting everyone, but you're not facing this battle alone. NAPA has the solution by making NAPA Autotech training available near you. NAPA Autotech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor's skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified It's a fact technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technicians' knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind... Napa Autotech training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of Napa Autotech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, Napa Autotech is here to provide you with the training you need and the format that works best for you. To learn more about what Napa Autotech offers, contact NapaAutotech.com. The idea is not new then that people paying X amount of dollars, one person, it's a drop in the bucket. The next person, it's a boatload of money. It's painful. It's maybe more than they really have. And I feel like maybe this is a lot of buildup, but you have to be able to make this connection if you haven't already before ever listening to this, that this is something I think we need to take pause. This is something that I think we need to acknowledge. Daily, at the front counter, even in the back, when we issue an estimate, we have to be careful we have to be very careful what we are communicating to the client so to reference back the the kitchen and the cabinets and all that our, our, you know my kitchen and my wife's kitchen, that company needed to be very very open about expectations I, I really do not like under promise over deliver, and I don't think that's what i'm talking about nor should it ever be it's it's really a bad business decision i know it sounds good you know but we have to set the expectations so they're realistic with the uh, kitchen it's kind of a refresh it's going to look way better than it did and in some cases it's going to look very new if you're going to really start looking it can't be cuz it's not you know there's certain things that are going to be done to I want to say like replace rather than renovate, if you will. Maybe a wall that isn't technically super straight. If you're really doing a renovation, they might go through and scab two by fours or whatever to straighten the wall out. Well, this isn't what they're going to do. They they can't. Uh, and, and they don't have the countertops in, so I can't say for, for sure or not. But my guess is, is if the wall is not perfectly straight and I don't see how it possibly could be. You could see, if you wanted to, the gap changing width between the countertop and the wall. And for most people just hanging out at your house, I doubt they would even see it. But if you're aware or if you're really looking, you would see it. And with vehicles, I think there's times where the expectation we set in, especially I find it like diagnostics on a weird problem uh, or just a problem that's difficult to prove is going to be fixed Until the repair is made, you know, so all our tests, everything we've observed, our experience, data, information, resources, all point to this issue. We can't ignore this issue as being the culprit, you know, so the engine doesn't start, seems to have spark, fuel, compression, no fuel pressure pump has power feeding ground, we put the fuel pump in, it should run. Okay, maybe it does. Maybe it runs horrible, but we couldn't tell that until the engine was running. And I don't know, are we getting to the point where we're going to artificially start vehicles and run them on alternative fuel sources to prove that if we put the fuel pump in, it'll at least idle good? I mean, we could. I don't know how many people are doing that. You know, and there's certain statistics we're playing. Is that really reasonable? And I'm sure we just think about it, we could probably rattle off a few instances where I'm confident that this will fix it, but I'm not 100% confident, 80%, 90%, 99%. But they have to understand what that is, that there's certain probabilities at play that this is absolutely bad. This absolutely could cause your concern. I have no reason to believe it won't fix it, but I can't promise that it will. And they may not like hearing that. They may want the 100% guaranteed you bolt that part on. You know, it's going to be $700. And for them, that's all their money. Or maybe it's more than all their money. They have $500. They got to go to mom, dad, a good friend, family member, the bank, you know, a loan shark. They have to go and get money that they don't have for this repair. So there's some angst. There's some high anxiety that they're gonna hand you over the seven hundred dollars, or at least they're gonna get the phone call that, okay, we spent your seven hundred dollars and it's better, or it didn't fix it. Something of that nature. And I, you know, didn't fix it. Suppose we'll have to work harder on what that could be. You know, kind of one of the really rare instances. Doesn't happen very often, but it happens where the engine's got a misfire, the plugs are shot, a coil's bad, and you do it, you put it together and you know, you did your due diligence, you did a relative compression test, it passed, only to find out an injector isn't firing or isn't flowing or maybe just an odd cylinder mechanical issue maybe caused by the uh, bad spark plugger, maybe the bad injector caused the cylinder to go lean. It caused an odd failure, you know, with maybe an exhaust valve that you just so happen when you ran the relative compression test, passes with flying colors. Or if you did a real compression test, it passed with flying colors and you get it all together and it still has a intermittent yet repeatable misfire. We can, of course, keep building on procedures to try to cover our tails on this, but it keeps adding time and cost. And I'm not going to imply it as an unreasonable. I'm not, I would never imply that it isn't a good idea to snake a Borescope down there, even if after it passes your tests. But at some point, you're going to stop. You're going to say that's such a high probability that this obvious issue is going to fix the concern and there's no reason to keep going. And yet once in a while, we're going to get burnt or the customer is going to get burnt because at what point? Do you decide you are obligated to find every level of issue? Of course, there's the ones that you missed that you should have got. Absolutely. And the shop should probably eat that. Then there's situations like that where it's like, wow, this is really out there. This this is not a normal failure. And then I suppose you get into discussions about how good of a client this is and all that. But a lot of it comes down to that expectation. And how about the ones where we're just not sure you got a network issue and you got it down to two modules and you can't really determine which one's bad. It's a 50-50 shot. They have to understand that. They may not like it, but they have to understand it. Again, that scenario, rare happens, you know, and there's a lot of case studies out there about using microamp probes. How many of us have microamp probes that may help determine that higher level scoping that might help, but really not always. And, um, you know, how does your shop Handle those things. What are your expectations of yourself? If something like that is sold, we think it's module A, put it in, doesn't fix it. Does the shop eat it? So we've guaranteed a diagnosis. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but is that what you're doing? If you don't, the cl- customer has to understand that there's probabilities at play. To get off diagnostics and more into like repairs, that can be different. That can be this will 100% fix your issue your pulsating brakes will be fixed by these new rotors. And, you know, we're not probably not going to do new rotors without new pads or they're worn, whatever. You're going to stand behind that. It's a hundred percent, you know, there's, there's mechanical repairs. So the diagnosis maybe has a little bit of a gray area, actual repair work. We should be able to stand behind that a hundred percent. I just feel like when we're explaining this to our clients, we have to keep in mind that the cost or the the price we're giving them is very, very relative on how expensive it is to them there are clients where if you hand them an estimate for two thousand dollars for their brakes, they'll almost look at you like you're insulting them with the estimate just i didn't I don't want an estimate. I want you to fix my car, okay, two thousand dollars. Ah, we ran into some problems we did this repair, we noticed this while we were in there or this is absolutely bad, I can show you that it was bad, but it didn't 100% take care of your concern. Now with this fixed and off the table, we can start focusing on other potential causes. Or because of this now we see what is the culprit or another culprit, a contributor. You know, after we did whatever, it's you know, noticeably better, but still you know, you wouldn't be happy. Now we can see that this is the issue and they think nothing of it. It adds another, however much money. Okay. Please fix my car. But somebody else that would be devastating. It was already devastating with the initial investment. The percentage of their financial worth, it was much higher and therefore brutal. They, They had to scrape up money. They stuff that they had planned for that money is out the window. They have to spend it on the car. They don't, want to, they don't want to pay to fix their car anyways. And now there's that fear. Even if they've trusted you in the past with smaller bills, now this is bigger. And they're anxious. They're worried. They're fearful that they're going to get the shaft, that they're going to get taken to the cleaners, that you're, we're going to take advantage of them when they can least afford it. And I just think keeping that in mind, I'm not saying we have to drop our prices. The price is the price. Hopefully we came up with it with some logical equation or contributing factors to come up with it. The price is the price, but we have to deliver on that and deliver is, you know, on the repair itself. I think we have to stand behind it. You're you're buying tests from us that will lead to a diagnosis that we can associate a certain percentage of probability we're right. And sure, there's a lot of stuff that we can do on diagnosis to verify that it'll fix it. You know, it's got a vacuum leak. Okay, can I temporarily fix the vacuum leak or block it off so it's not leaking anymore? no, oh, the rough idle's gone. The, you know, the lean, If I give it propane, it richens up, like it, it's pretty safe to say this will fix it. But still, would you say 100%? Some stuff we can. Some stuff, it gets a little rougher, uh, especially if we know certain vehicles have certain issues you going to be wrestling with. Do you go with what you see is bad and then quote the rest of it? Or is that like a second quote? Or I should say estimate. You got to be careful with terminology, right? A quote is what it's going to be. That's how much it's going to be. It's, there's not much variance. Estimate is that just that we're estimating. I, I just feel like a lot of us can be a lot more conscious of that. I I see it at work with our advisors and even the owner and uh, some of the techs. Like sometimes forget, you know, it probably needs this. Okay, well, why won't we just do that? What is it, a couple hundred bucks? Well, I'm happy for you that 200 bucks is nothing. The client, we don't know. We just have to be conscious of it and respectful of it. Uh, It's just so easy To be dismissive of it. That or we need to keep uh, some really broke service advisors around because then they might be more sympathetic or empathetic, right? No, that wouldn't be a good idea. Uh, I just think it's something that needs to get brought up. It's shop meetings, discussions, just a thought experiment, really. There's just different levels. And it's funny how that changes for maybe for some of you out there, a $1,000 is nothing. You've got that readily accessible. And then some of you maybe uh five thousand, maybe ten thousand, maybe more. I don't you know, if you really needed to, you could just go drop cash on a new vehicle. And and that's great. But you know, there's people out there that um uh I don't know if you guys watch football or paid much attention to Vikings football back in the probably the late, late nineties, early two thousands with Randy Moss that he got a fine from the NFL that I think was for sure five figures, it could have been six figures. And he just told the media he was paying it with straight cash. Like it was nothing to him. And it was, right? And as a percentage of his income between the salary or wages from the Minnesota Vikings and then all his uh, endorsement deals, it was nothing. So we just have to remember there's always somebody with way more money than we have that what we think of as just really affordable might not be for the client. I think that's where the professionalism needs to step up, not just in how we treat them directly, but also then making sure that we deliver. We, we, we deliver on a professional repair that we're it's nothing worse than somebody is like just scratching together every dollar they got so that you can do this work. And then it's kind of shoddy. Like somebody kind of half asses it. I mean, that's horrible. Even if like the, the concern is taken care of. You know, we'll just keep picking on brakes. I don't know why. It's easy, easy to pick on. But that brake job, that was expensive. They had to do pads, rotors, calipers, hoses. The bill came to whatever, $1,000. And it was everything they could do to get that money. Maybe I had to borrow some. And then they come pick up their vehicle and there's grease smudges, footprints on the floor mat, when they pushed the calipers back, they did a really crap job of it. I, I know they're replacing them, but I'm just trying to think of scenarios where it's now got a leak because they didn't clean it up. Just even these little things adding up to where it's like percentage-wise, that amount of money was was really high. And then they come and get their vehicle and you know it's fixed. The brakes don't make noise anymore. They don't pulsate. It doesn't pull. But it's like they didn't get taken seriously. I think we really have to be empathetic towards that. Like we're going to be accepting this amount of money. We're going to deliver you this. And unless you're going to tell the customer right up front, like, okay, well, for this amount of money that the guys, they just, they run it in and they get the brakes on there and they run it out and they're not very careful. And the car might have, uh you know, fingerprints on it and footprints because, I mean, it's all about, Speed here. That's how we keep our prices so low. There's no white gloves going on here. If that's what you're selling them, then that's what you're selling them. And I'm not even knocking that just so you're honest. But if you're, uh, you know, telling them that they're going to get a professional level repair. And then that happens. All that anxiety, all that fear was justified. I just think we can put ourselves in that their shoes a little bit and try to remember what it was like when, we didn't have that kind of money, worried that we weren't going to be taken care of, that we were going to get taken advantage of, or we were not going to get our money's worth. And how I mean how horrible that would be for them. And long term, it's horrible for us. It just does not help the overall reputation of us as you know, specialists, as as professionals in this profession, industry, trade, when we have the opportunity to take. Just a, just a little bit of uh, humility and apply it we, that we may miss it. And I think in this case, it's one of those things to try to be better about putting ourselves in other people's shoes. Uh, especially when we're the professionals and we're in this credence good or credence. It's I guess technically it's economics if we're talking like an economist. We are in a credence good service and we know better the quality uh, of work we're doing or the value we're providing that client than they can reasonably know but then we have to do it we we have to back that up we know and we're going to demonstrate it as best we can it's going to be difficult to show them just how great the brake rotor quality is over the economy that you know shop C down the road would put in or the brake pads but the way we treat them The way we return their vehicle to them. These are small things that over time help build up that reputation that help give them confidence and to help demonstrate the quality of service that they are getting. Uh, And that's what it's all about. I think that will wrap up this episode. I hope you see where I'm going with that. I hope those of you that have seen My Fair Lady remember the scene I'm talking about. And maybe it just hits you a little different than it did uh, the last time or first time you saw it and if you haven't seen it and um, you're sick of new movies with special effects and only dialogue or you can at least stomach some singing like you got through uh, the greatest showman okay and you're maybe looking to expand and maybe weathered the sound of music uh, give my fair lady a shot I, i think you'll like it pay attention to that scene and hopefully you see what i saw Thank you all for listening, and I uh, really enjoy the uh, messages you've been sending, the emails. Enjoying them, very flattered, uh, and also humbled. You can send me emails at mattfonzlopodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me pretty easily on social media. Yeah, just want to thank our sponsor, NAP Auto Tech Training and the Aftermarket Radio Network. And until next time, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow, diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.